Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this day. Thank you for the beauty of creation, Lord, which you have surrounded us with. Thank you for the hope and joy and peace which you have brought into our hearts. We pray that your mercy and love, Lord, uh, would fall upon us today. Speak to us and reveal yourself to us, and may your joy and life, Lord God, be powerfully present with us now. Give me your words to speak to your people and fill us with your hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. Morning. Sorry it's hot. I had the AC on at the second service, but somehow it's turned off. So I just turned it back on again. So hopefully it'll cool down. Things like that happen in churches. Buttons get switched. Yeah. All right. So uh, since we're all Golden State Warriors fans here... um, I'd like to talk to you all about game one of this most recent series, the Western Conference Finals. Uh, and in that game, they were playing the San Antonio Spurs, right? And at halftime, what was happening to the Warriors? They had been getting beaten up. They were losing. It was bad, right? They were down by 20 points at halftime. 20 points. That's a lot of points in a game. And they weren't showing any signs they were coming back, right? It was not looking good. They'd like mount little runs and then the Spurs would come back and they'd squash them, right? And then the Spurs would pull ahead and the Warriors would start to chip away and then the Spurs would come back. It was not looking good at all. Then, in short succession, two things happened. One, uh, the Spurs leading player, uh, Kawhi Leonard, took a shot and then took a step back and stepped on one of his own players' foot, feet on the bench and twisted his ankle. But he kept playing, right? Kept playing. And then he took a jump shot and stepped on the foot, landed on the foot of one of the Warriors players. Right? And this, and it knocked him out of the game. And he hasn't played since. We're at game three. We just went through game three. He hasn't played since that moment. Now, the challenge is, was that foul that was committed by the Warriors player intentional? Was he trying to knock Leonard out of the game? I mean, he's the best player, right? Leonard is on that team. And to get rid of him, I mean, and certainly in the Warriors, what happened to them after that point is they came, they came back and they won the game, right? But was it intentional? Who did it? There's differing opinions on this, right? Some people were saying it was absolutely intentional and he was like an assassin and came and tried to, to get Leonard and kick him and get him out of the game, out of the series, out of basketball. Um, lucky he didn't break his neck. Uh, he was out for blood. And then others are saying, no, it was absolutely just a mistake. It did, you know, nothing, nothing was intentional in that. What do you all think? Strong opinions? I mean, we're all Warriors fans, so it was obviously not intentional, right? My uncle was at the second service. He's a, he's a, he's a Spurs fan, and he thought it was absolutely intentional, right? Absolutely intentional. So in our world today, right, the, the media and uh, is set up to really kind of heighten issues like this, right? Yes. Right, because it keeps them relevant. It keeps it relevant if you can every few minutes, like, publish a tweet or something that says, like, oh, inside information, it was, it was a, like, a sanctioned hit or something like that, right? Um, but from these two players, they seem to react in a different way. Both the instigator and the recipient of the foul, um, they seem to come at this a different way. They didn't play into the narrative that we see played out so often in our world. Instead, the injured player, he said, 
Uh, did he step under it like on purpose? No, he was contesting the shot. The shot clock was coming down. Right. This is right after it happened. He's just like, I didn't see it. I need to go back and look at it. But it just felt like he was contesting my shot and an accident happened. And the perpetrator of the foul, the Warriors player, uh, said, I have a lot of respect for the Spurs coach and the Spurs organization. And he apologized for the foul. Right. A different kind of narrative. Those two are operating on. They're both saying, look, we're sorry it happened. Wish it hadn't. Let's move on. Now, this is an innocuous example, right? None of us are that passionate about this because we're not in San Antonio. Um, and so we can use this example as kind of like a sticky board, right, for other things, other situations. Um, we can put them onto that kind of framework, right? Because there's other places in our life that are not so easy to talk about. There's other challenges, other disagreements, other grievances that are not so easy to kind of look at objectively and analyze, right? Maybe it's a poor decision by a member of the family, uh, maybe it's uh, something happened in politics that's really upset us. Uh, maybe something has happened at work, maybe with a boss or co-worker. And maybe it's that thing that we're wrestling with. And we're trying to figure out how to interact with people who we're in conflict with or who we disagree with or who maybe have harmed us. I think our, our reading, our first reading for today has some information on how one can do that. And that reading comes from the book of Acts. And you've got the Apostle Paul. And he's on his second missionary journey from Israel through Asia by land and then down into Greece. And there they are, he and Silas, in the city of Athens. Now, Athens in the Roman era had gone through some major changes. In the year 87 BC, Athens had attempted to stand up to Rome and assert its own independence. Was this a good idea, you think? No. Not a good idea, right? Um, Rome did not stand in, in subordination very well, right? And so uh, they came down with the whole weight of the empire upon the city of Athens. Uh, all these legions attacked it, and there was a great massacre. I mean, it was a tr very tragic event. And it was only stopped when the leader of the legions told his soldiers to pull back. I mean, it could have been complete destruction, but he stopped them. Um, but Romans became very sentimental very quickly about Greece and Greek culture. And so it's kind of like hipsters with like, you know, different trends and stuff from the past, you know, whatever it happens to be, speakeasies or whatever they happen to be into now, right? The Romans as well got very sentimental about Greece. And so immediately after Athens was destroyed, they began to rebuild it. And Julius Caesar uh, rebuilt large portions of it, including the Agora. And it was there in this Agora uh, on the hill of Mars that a Roman citizen and Jewish Christian named Paul came to speak to the Athenians. Now, in the verses before our passage, we're told that Paul had been walking through the city in days previous and had noticed that the city was full of idols. Does that mean people just sitting around twiddling their thumbs? Is that what the idols are? Or Billy Idol, or... No, no, what is it? It's full of objects, right? Objects of reverence for other gods. Now, that was a major challenge for Paul because as a Jewish Christian, in both Judaism and Christianity, idols are not to be worshipped. And yet he finds the city full of it. So Paul goes to the synagogue to go speak to people of like mind. 
and he has discourse with them. Then he goes into the market and he talks to kind of anybody who's willing to listen. And in the course of the conversation, he touches upon something that the Athenians are very much known for. Because according to the verse before our reading, it says, spend their, the Athenians spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Right? So the Athenians always want to hear a new idea. Um, in some ways, they're no different than us, right? No different than us. They want to hear what's new, what's cooking, what's, it, what's interesting in the world, what's fascinating, what's happening. No matter where it's happening, they want to know about it. And so they ask Paul, who is bringing what they think is this new idea, this, this concept of Christianity. They ask him to come and speak at the Areopagus. Now, the Epicureans and the Stoics, these are um, two major um, philosophical groups in the time. They're all excited to hear what Paul happens to say, what he has to say. And it's really interesting because Paul does not engage with them in the way we might assume. Paul is known for it sometimes coming down pretty heavy on people who disagree with him. But in this instance, he comes and he speaks to them in a way that's generous, gentle and kind. He acknowledges the virtue that he sees in them. He says, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. Right? He acknowledges that these are people who, as evidenced by their preponderance of idols, are people who take spirituality seriously. And he respects that. And he claims it as a virtue and says, I see you're people who are serious about your religious life. And he also identifies that there's something that they don't understand. And that is characterized by them having an idol to an unknown God. Right? Paul sees that. He sees their idols to all the known gods, but then he sees one to an unknown God. And why would they have an idol to an unknown God there? Cover their bases. That's right. Cover their bases, right? You've got ones to Athena and Zeus and, you know, Hephaestus. I'm using the Greek names, unfortunately. Sorry about that. Um, but then they had this one that was for this unknown God. And that's because uh, in Greek mythology or Roman mythology, if you didn't acknowledge a God, right, there were bad consequences that could come. Right. You might have a terrible harvest or you might have all like your people might be infertile or, um, you know, your animal and livestock might all get sick or, you know, Mount Vesuvius blows up or something. Right. You know, and so they wanted to cover all the bases so that if an unknown God came, they would be able to say, here is your shrine. And we were just waiting to dedicate it to you. There we go. So Paul uses this unknown God, this idol they had put there as a placemaker to explain a God that is known. He uses this part of their theology to explain to them how God is the answer to what they've been yearning for. He says, not only is this God known, he is the king of creation. He made everything and gives life and breath to all, and he has designed things so that we might search for him and perhaps find him. Right? Paul speaks to the yearning in their hearts to the desire to know God and to worship him. And then he reveals to his audience just how much he studied their culture when he quotes to them two Greek philosophers, Epimenides of Crete, which you all know Epimenides, right? It's a bestseller today, no. And the Stoic poet Aratus, 
who I, I'd never heard of these guys either before, but uh, that's who Paul quotes. He uses their quotes to share with them this message. Now, establishing that he respects them and understands them, he begins to explain how different God is than their idols and their system of theology. He says he's not like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. Right? The God of the Christians is not a God which is just fashioned out of our imagination. He's alive and powerful and beautiful and engaged in this world. And this has been attested to and will be carried out by Jesus Christ who came and died and rose again. Now, this message was delivered to a people that Paul could have approached them by blasting them out of the water for their idolatry. But instead, he engaged with them in grace and love. Now, why would someone like Paul do that? Why would Paul be so gentle and generous with them? Did Paul know anything about being misguided in his life or anything about believing something different than someone else? Yeah, remember Paul, before he encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road, was known for persecuting Christians. Right? He was there at the murder, the martyrdom of the first Christian martyr. Right? He was there. He was engaged in this. And so Paul knew what it was to be blind. Paul knew what it was to, to have his eyes opened and to see God. And so he knew what it was to feel grace and forgiveness and mercy. He knew what it was to have his sins washed away. And so when he engages with these Athenians, he does so from that point of grace and generosity. Now, he still shared with them the message of Christ, right? He didn't suddenly change his message. He didn't suddenly say, well, what you're saying is okay. Instead, he engages with them with the gospel, but in a way that is gentle and kind, a way that they could hear and understand and was respectful. Now, I think this is an important message for us today uh, in several ways. The first way is that the gospel never gets old, right? That message of hope in Jesus Christ, that he has taken our brokenness, our failings, our mistakes, the ways we wrong one another. He has taken those things and that he has taken our sin and swallowed it up and gives us his love and mercy and righteousness and forgiveness. That message never gets old and it's always appropriate to translate it into the language of the day and the culture of the day. Second thing is, Paul saw his life as an evangelistic endeavor. Everything in him craved to share the good news. It burned in his heart like a fire that needed to be spoken of and shared. That same impulse might not be in us the same way it was in Paul, but each of us are evangelists whether we like it or not, or whether we're even aware of it. We're all proclaiming some message with our lives. What message is your life proclaiming? What message is my life proclaiming? Perhaps this week we'll spend some time praying over that and thinking over that. If people were to look at me and the narrative of my life, what message would they see? What God would I be lifting up? What hope would I be sharing? And thirdly, the principle of speaking in love and understanding is, depra- is desperately needed both back then in the first century A.D. and today as well. 
When Paul got to Athens and spoke on the, in the Areopagus, did he suddenly develop a great love for idols? No, he didn't. He probably held the same views as he did when he came to the city, just before he came to the city. Probably still felt the same way. Did he suddenly develop a great love for pagan philosophy? No, not at all. But did he love Jesus and the people of Athens? Did he love and care about them? Absolutely. And so he found ways to speak to them that were respectful and full of understanding and grace. Perhaps by the grace of God, we could learn to do the same as well. In that fortuitous NBA game, the two players involved in the incident took a different path than um, than some people were trying to do who were throwing gasoline on the fire, right? They took a path that they both sought to speak with grace and mercy. And because of that, they really exemplified something beautiful in their interaction. We serve a God who has blessed us with grace and mercy. We've been forgiven. We've been washed clean. Shouldn't our words, our actions, and our thoughts reflect this? That central event in our lives? Yeah. And when we go out into this world, shouldn't the way we live our lives live that out? Because our world is a mess. Not like it's not been a mess in the past. right? Not like it wasn't a mess in the first century and the 10th century BC and you know will be thousands of years from now. right? The world is a mess and people continue to be messes. But may we live our lives in a way that we're people of gentleness and kindness. We don't need to change our view, but we can express them in ways that are respectful and understanding of others. We can seek to understand them, to hear their point of view, to receive it, to listen, and then to respond in love. That's what Paul learned to do. And so the people of Athens heard his message, and some received it. And came to faith in Christ. Now, as we seek to walk in grace and love and mercy, will we fail at this? Yes. Will we at times say something we didn't mean to say? Absolutely, we will. And so what do we do then? Ask for forgiveness from who? And? The person we hurt. Jesus and the person we hurt. Right? We ask for forgiveness. Why? To restore relationship. That's right. And in, I think, one of the greatest evangelistic tools we have is that, God bless you, is that gift of forgiveness. Right? Being able to humbly say sorry to someone else. Because that shows, that shows us that we practice what we preach, right? That we really are people of reconciliation. People who seek peace and seek love. And seek unity. May we in this world speak the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. Who takes broken people and reconciles them to himself. May that message be carried out in our lives. And spread from us one to another. So that others might know the hope and love of Jesus Christ. And that we might live in this world in peace. And in great and beautiful relationship with those around us, regardless of what they believe. Let's pray. 
Lord God, thank you. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for this message that burns so brightly within him, Lord. And thank you that in the midst of believing it so strongly and holding so dearly to it, he was able to walk in grace and love, Lord, with the people of Athens in this instance, Lord. We pray, Lord God, that you would give us words of peace. Lord God, we know we don't agree with everybody. We don't even agree with everybody here, Lord. We don't even agree with ourselves on most days. And we come to you and say, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive us for our hardness of heart. Forgive us for the way we write off other people and their beliefs. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we... um, It's for the ways that we feel it's so much easier to sit back and lob stones at each other instead of speaking in a way that would bring about reconciliation and peace. Lord God, we pray that you would give us unity, fill us with your hope and joy, and send us into this world as agents of your peace and agents of your hope. And we pray, Lord God, that your peace would flow around us and touch the hearts of those that we come into contact with and that your life would spring up in their lives and you would unite us around the gospel of grace that you have taken broken people and built them up through the power of your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.